amazing. Okay. Well, and if you've been to Trinity a couple of times, you know that you know what I'm about to say. Why don't we stand and read scripture together? <laughs> Usually the slides work. Uh, Isaiah 9, verse 6 to verse 7. Yes, thank you. Let's read. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Let's read together John 1, uh, 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one only son. Full of grace and truth. Blessed be the word of the Lord. Lord, thank you for thank you for your presence. Thank you for your friendship. Spirit of God, I ask that as we share together today, you you will come and uh, do what only you can do. Speak truth to our hearts. Speak truth to us as a community. So we have been on the journey primarily on God's name. Notice I did not say God's names. There's so, uh, there's so many things I am called. You know, I'm called Eddie by my family uh, and, and some close friends. Uh, uh, the picky drivers around here call me Pastor Ras, even though I haven't had dreadlocks in a long time. So many different things, but, but if you ask people who know me, what is his name, they'll tell you his, his name is Edgar Aworking. Notice I said a name, because in the Bible you find so many things that are, uh, uh, and titles that are used to refer to God, and they're good. They describe him as provider, as, as healer, as all, all those wonderful things, but they're not his name. God then comes and introduces himself to Moses and says, Hey, I am the God of your father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, and by this name, you will know me forever. The reason it's a bit of a big deal is that in, in the culture from which we get the Bible, names were more than labels. Nowadays, it feels like names just say, This is a human being called this. But then names were more than labels. They said something that is true about that person's character. And so when, when God uh, introduces his name, he's saying, this should tell you something that is true about my character. This is an indication of my identity. It is not just a title. So that's why it's important to know God's name. Because what is it saying about God's character? The other reason I gave is that, you know what? The word G-O-D is just a title. 
And it is used to, to, to refer to so many things people worship, even today. I, I remember giving a story um, of, of uh, one of the last trips I did. I was in um, Nepal, and, and, and I was walking through the, 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 the tourist places, which are mostly temples. And there were those, the, the world's tallest statue of, of, of uh, Lord Vishnu is in Nepal. For me, it was just a statue, but for so many of them, this was a representation of a God. So the word God is just a title. So when people say, I believe in God, I, I, I always have a follow-up question. Great, which one? When people say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm spiritual but not religious. Great, which spirit? There's so many of them. So it is important to get to a place where we know God's name. Who do you mean? Um, and so our, our focus verse has been Exodus 34. God introduces himself. There's something that happened last week. We, we talked about it. Exodus 34 verse 4 to 6 is is the most quoted scripture by scripture itself. Every time the writers of scripture wanted to, uh, to describe uh, the character of God, this is where they went to. Thank you so much, David. This is where they went to. God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. Keeps his, uh, his promise-keeping love, but does not leave the guilty and punished. That's where they kept going to. Every time you'd ask them to describe God, they would go back to the scripture that we have as Exodus 34. Why? Because this is where God said, I will proclaim my name. This is his identity. And so last week we talked about the, the events that led up to this proclamation. The Israelites, who had just been delivered, had broken the covenant not too long after the, the events. Like they had just gotten out of, and they've crossed the Red Sea, and they've agreed with God that, hey, this is how our relationship would look like. These are the commandments. And they said, yes, we'll do everything you said. And not too long after that, they were breaking the, the covenant. And God got furious and told Moses, I'm going to wipe them out. And Moses is like, you remember the interaction? Oh, these are your people. And, and, and then God forgives them. That's the context in which uh, uh, Exodus 34 comes in. Because God is trying to say, I will have mercy on whomever I have mercy on. That is not, sometimes we read that and we think it's, it's, a, it's a statement of favoritism. It's more like, I will have mercy no matter what. Because it came in the context of betrayal and uh, the breaking of a covenant. But if you know the story of scripture, you know that this wasn't the first time they broke the covenant. And this wasn't going to be the last time they broke the covenant. It happened again and again. But at this point, God had promised that he will keep his covenant for how long? Forever. He is the God who, who makes compassion near and makes anger distant. He had promised to keep his, promise, uh, his, his covenant forever. His love for them was forever. And so in the prophets, after these stories, we get, we get the, 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 what we call the writings and the prophets. In the prophets, we now begin to hear a voice saying, there's something coming. 
God is bringing a deliverer because God will keep his promise. You begin hearing this uh, uh, um, uh, uh, resounding promise of a Messiah, someone who would deliver them finally, someone who would save them. You begin to hear this resounding promise of a suffering servant, someone who is one among them, but, but, but faithful, like the faithful remnant of Israel, and he will carry all the burdens of Israel. You begin to hear these promises and resounding prophecies about the day of the Lord, when God himself will come and establish his kingdom. And, and if you read carefully, these stories begin to merge because whoever was going to be the Messiah was, was not only going to be, was going to be also be the suffering servant. And he, he will establish a kingdom, but it was also going to be God's kingdom. So an expectation begin to, began to grow that, you know, there's someone coming who will be like Moses and set us free again. There's someone coming who will be like David and establish our kingdom again, but establish it uh, uh, on, on, uh, on the worship of Yahweh. But he was going to be better than David. There's someone coming who is going to be like, the, like a son of man, which meant that he would identify with us and therefore he would carry the burden of our sin. Because remember, last week we talked about what forgiveness means. And it means that God promises to lift off the burden of our sin. And then there's someone coming who is going to also be the son of God. That's why uh, the, uh, the prophecy of Isaiah we've read says he's going to be called mighty God. Son of man and son of God. And so an expectation began to grow in the people of God. They were waiting. Waiting for years. They got Jerusalem. They lost Jerusalem. They got Jerusalem. They lost Jerusalem. And the cycle continued. Still they waited. They went into exile. Came out of exile. Went into exile. Came out of exile. And the cycle continued. Still they waited because there's a prophecy. That God is coming to rescue them. And then after years of silence, they were now under Roman rule. It felt like, uh, uh, just like they were in, 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 in Egypt, that God had abandoned them. Some of them felt that, oh, well, it's probably because we're sinful, so we've got to purge sin if the Messiah is ever going to show up. And then, and then a teenage girl promised to an older man, receives a visit from an angel. I love that, uh, that, the, that the Bible is very honest, even with the details. Now, one of the things I've been telling us is we need to ask ourselves, what is Scripture actually telling us, right? The Bible is primarily a story about God. And while people get hung up, oh, it was a teenage girl, promised to an older man, that was the culture then. So what is, what is the Bible telling us? That God has no problem inserting ourselves, sorry, inserting himself into our story in order to deliver us. It is more about the kind of God he is, that he would work with those who are voiceless in a, in, in a society. That he would choose those who would, who would be looked over in a society. That's what that, part, that story is really about. 
So in the silence, prophecy has not been heard. There's expectation, but there's really a lot of despair. In the silence, an angel is heard. Luke 1, 29 to 33, when, when she saw the angel, she was troubled at his words. She thought about what he had said. Then the angel said to her, Mary, do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. See, you are to become a mother and have a son. You are to give him the name Yehoshua or Joshua or it's, uh, it's Aramaic, trans, uh, 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 our Greek translation, Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will, will give him uh, the place where his early father David sat. He will be king over the family of Jacob forever. And his nation will have no end. So in all the uh, despair, in all the desperation, Yahweh still keeps his promise. That's where we stopped at last weekend. That this is a promise-keeping God. Every time we sing the song, you're here, Waymaker, Miracle Worker, Promise Keeper, it comes from Exodus 34. It comes from, from what God said he would always do. I will keep my covenant to you no matter what. It's been a very difficult three weeks for me, uh, but even at the start of it, because I saw some of it coming, I was just driving back to Nakuru, and I just remember, I just felt the Holy Spirit say, I will keep my promises. And so, uh, I woke up very happy today, I've, I've been dancing and all that, and, and it's, it's only because I remembered that word, that you know what, God will keep his promises. And so remember that. If, if that's all you have to hold on to, remember that God will keep his promises. Anyway, so despite the silence, God was working on keeping his promises. Welcome to the first week of Advent. Advent is a, a, a period in the church calendar where we're leading up to Christmas. Advent means the coming of or the anticipation of something important. And what the church has always done for generations is observe some time where we remember the anticipation of the coming of Jesus, the promise fulfilled. The last few weeks, we've focused on the character of God. Let me bring, bring us around what we've covered so far. God is gracious and compassionate. The God who wants you to know him and the God who wants to know you has a baseline emotion towards you, and it's always mercy. If you ever wonder what God feels for you, it's mercy. It's that emotion that a parent feels towards a child. And, and, and a better example is what a mother feels towards a child, that a mother would not abandon that child. It would be, it would be such an awkward situation because it does happen. And then God says, even though... A mother could abandon a child at her breast. I will never abandon you. He's always merciful towards you. God is gracious. If you ever wonder what, what the actions of God towards you are, they are always in your favor. So stop wondering. Stop asking yourself when things go wrong in your life. Stop wondering, God, are you punishing me? God, are, you know. No, God is always acting favorably towards you. God is slow to anger. 
and abounding in love. It's not that God has no wrath. That's a lie of our generation. Like, oh, a loving God would never get angry. Mm -mm. That's not true. It's not that God has no wrath. Neither is it that God is always angry. The other polar opposite of that lie that is still floating around is people open the Bible and go, look at all the bloodshed. This is an angry God. No, those are, those are falsehoods. The invitation is that God is slow to anger. He is patient. He's the one who makes anger distant and compassion near. And what his, what his wrath looks like is out of love, he releases you to the, choices, to the consequences of your choices. Because love requires that you allow people the dignity of one, making a choice, and two, uh, living with the consequences. And in all this, his mercy always triumphs over judgment. That's why he says, I will keep my love, my covenant love, my promises to thousands of generations and my anger to the third and the fourth. The way God promises to love you will always outweigh anything else, including the consequences of the choices you've made. The way God promises to love you, the way God promises to remain faithful to you, will outweigh the consequences of the choices you make, and I think that is good news. And the way he promises to do that to achieve that, to make sure that mercy always triumphs over judgment, is the promise of forgiveness. He will lift off the burden of our sin. Before this self-disclosure statement by God, Moses had, had, had made this one prayer. Lord, show me your glory. Because after watching how God had forgiven the Israelites, it was unheard of by other gods of the other nations around them. He just said, Lord, show me your glory. And God, you know, God says, okay, I'll, I'll, I will hide your face. You cannot see my face because you will die, but I will cover you and then my glory will pass. It was like, you, I, my, his one desire, so my, my glory will pass by you, but I will, I promise that I'll proclaim my name. And then, Jesus comes. And then Jesus comes. After spending time with Jesus, this is what one of his apostles had to say. Uh, uh, John, John the apostle had to say. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only son who came from, from the father, full of grace and truth. Finally, the fulfillment of the prayer that Moses made. See the journey we've taken? We've been with Moses at the mountain. We've been with Moses on the mountaintop where he's saying, God, just show me your glory. And God says, no, I'll proclaim my name. And now we're at a place where the one story says we have seen his glory. Jesus is the fulfillment of that prayer. In another scripture believed to have been written by the same apostle, this is what he says. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, 
which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life that was, the father, that was with the Father and has appeared to us, to us. We proclaim to you that we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So when we started our journey in this conversation about the name of God... We started from Genesis, right, in the beginning. And part of what I wanted to, 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 to settle uh, uh, with that is to see that the Bible tells one story. It's the story about God. In the beginning, the creator God. And then we have this creator God introducing him, uh, appearing to, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then the same God introducing himself to Moses. And then the same God proclaiming his name in the beginning. See what, 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 um, see what Moses is doing? He's going, uh, sorry, John, not Moses. John is going back to the same beginning. The word that was in the beginning. In other words, John is saying, hey, I am talking about the same story. I'm talking about the same God for whom, from whom, and by whom all things were made. And that God has appeared to us. We have seen his glory. And then I want you to realize he's speaking words that resonate with Exodus 34. Exodus 34, Lord, show me your glory. John 1.14, we have seen his glory. Exodus 34, the Lord is gracious and compassionate and faithful. John 1.4, the one and only son who is full of truth and grace. Remember the word faithful that, uh, uh, comes from the same word that we, we, we get amen, we get true, we get trustworthy. John is saying Whomever we've met is the living, walking definition of Exodus 34. He is full of grace and full of truth. Scripture is primarily the story of God. As I've, I've told us, it's not about Israel, it's not about the Gentiles, it's not, no, it's, just, it's, just, it's telling us the story of God and his engagement with his people. Now, with the New Testament, we see that this story is leading up to one place, Jesus Christ. Because now we've seen the glory. This is what, this is what I want you to remember that, that the God who is knowable, the God who wants you to know him, the God who wants to be known by you, all that is achievable through Jesus Christ. 
That's where this story was, was leading up to all that time. If you, if you want to, to see God's glory, if you want to experience all these things we've been talking about, the character of God, and the questions that have been coming have been encouraging and challenging, and people have asked, how do I become, you know, the, the uh, uh, scripture says, be as merciful as your Father in heaven is merciful. People have asked, how do I become merciful? People have asked, how do I forgive people who've hurt me over and over again? Uh, some of us, how do I remain in God's presence? And, and, and John just boils it down. We have seen his glory. The invitation is to find, meet, and love God through the person of Jesus Christ. You know, to know someone's name doesn't, it's great, but it, it doesn't help much. There's so many people out there who know my name, but they couldn't tell you anything about me. But people who've invested time with me, gotten hurt by me, gotten blessed by me, gotten loved by me, gotten disillusioned by me, they will look at you and tell you, I know him. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, Processing a crisis yesterday, and, 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 and this friend of mine said, Edgar, I know you. Did, did this actually happen? I'm like, exactly, I'm also shocked. Anyways, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm in therapy. <laughs> Let's leave that aside. Oh my goodness, I'll make sure that's cut out of the podcast. Anyway, the point is, people who, to know someone's character, to know someone's identity, you invest time with them. Yes. The name of God is given. Yes, Scripture tells us the story of God. But it's one thing to read that God is gracious, compassionate, forgiving, slow to anger, rich in love. It's one thing to read that God loves you. It's another thing to know. It's got to get from our heads into our bones or hearts. I heard people say hearts, if that works for you. It's got to get from our heads to the deepest part of who we are. That when we say God loves us, we will say, yes, I know that to be true. I remember when I became truly aware that God forgives. You know, well, I think everyone can say they were once young and stupid. So in my young and stupid days, I think there were things I'd done that I thought were unforgivable. And I remember this, this uh, a person deeply hurt by me in tears looked at me and said, I forgive you. And it felt, it felt like cold water on my heart. I was like, what? That's when I knew, oh, forgiveness is real. But I had been speaking about God's forgiveness for a long time. I grew up in, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a PK, I'm a pastor's kid. So I, I, I could quote to you, oh, God forgives. That day, I knew, oh, God forgave me. It's one thing to know. It's got to move from our heads to the deepest parts of who we are. So here is the invitation. Are you longing for forgiveness? Come. Are you longing for freedom from bitterness? Because you're angry, just, you know, just as the wrong image of God that you have, come. 
Are you at your wit's end? Because suffering has left you disappointed and hurt and wondering if God really keeps his promises. Come. Are you guilty of worshipping at the altar of other gods? And breaking even the very covenants you've made? Or idols of our culture like money, sex, fame, and politics? Come. Are you tired of shame? Come. I think this is why the psalmist wrote, Taste and see that the Lord is good. It's one thing to hear. That Rose cooks excellent food, which I haven't eaten in a long time. It's another thing to be sitting in her house and going, wow. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And it's really simple. Well, I, I feel like some of you are just breathing a sigh of relief because the last couple of weeks have been so, so heavy on theology and today looks easy and friendly. Great. <laughs> is it really simple? I, yes, it is. It's just saying, Jesus, I need you. And you can pray that prayer as many times as you need to. Whether you've known him for years or you've never even been interested. Whether you're in joy or in pain or in that awkward place where pain and grief, is, uh, joy and grief are sitting together or, or you know, uh, hope and despair sitting together. It doesn't matter where you are. You can simply pray, Jesus, I need you. And then just every simple step to invest in the relationship with Jesus. I keep saying we look at how Jesus lived life to see how we live ours. So every time we, you know, they sound so spiritual, we say spiritual disciplines. Actually, they're just disciplines. When we talk about prayer, when we talk about reading scripture, when we talk about fasting, when we talk about silence and solitude, when we talk about uh, uh, keeping the Sabbath, when we talk about just being with Jesus, they're not... It's not for the gurus. It's not for the, the worship leaders and the pastors. and the, No, it's for you and me. It's our way of creating time and space to be with Jesus. And then we let him do in our hearts what only he can do. And then over time, we begin to say, I have tasted and I have seen that the Lord is good. Because through Jesus, our hope has come. The greatest invitation I'm making today is that our hope has come. And I know, I, I, I grew up in church and sometimes church people know this stuff very well, too much that they don't realize they don't believe it. We say we believe our hope has come, but we live as people who are hopeless. Our hope has come. 
Yet in all honesty, sometimes we forget. Sometimes it's just too tough. Sometimes we, we've seen our untransformed selves, our hope has come. Now, as I finish, could the band come up on stage? You know, we pray and, and we, we pray in Jesus' name. Um, and some of us get hung up on that. You finished the prayer and you didn't say in Jesus' name. <laughs> so, um, oh, that was not a prayer enough. Hi, Kufika, because the carriage is the packaging of in Jesus' name. I, I, I used to have, and I still do this, I... I start speaking as I'm thinking, and then I realize I have nothing else to say, and my thoughts just truncate. And <laughs> people go, eh? oh, he's done speaking. Um, and I know it's still, I, I sometimes listen to the talks, and I realize I, I, I start saying things, and then I never finish them. I'm very sorry for that. Um, but I sometimes would do that even when praying. I, I, uh, I'd be praying, and then I would think I'm going on, and I'm like, ah, I think I've prayed all I had to pray. And I would just stop. And sometimes I wouldn't finish with in Jesus' name. And some friends got so upset. Like, no, you've got to finish it right. The idea was never to end up with a religious phrase. The idea was to know whose name we're praying in. The idea was to take him at his word. Because his name speaks of his character. When we say we're praying in Jesus' name, we're saying, Lord, we are before you because you are gracious, you are compassionate, you're slow to anger, you're abounding in covenant love, and you're forgiving. That's why I am here. This is why Paul writes, approach the throne of God with confidence. What's the confidence? The name of the one whom we're praying to. It actually does dishonor God when we, when we don't take him at his word. When we don't realize that we are praying in his name. And the other thing that also means is that we are praying in the authority of Jesus. So after his death and resurrection, I feel like Christmas and Easter are coming together for me. After his death and resurrection, he says, all authority and power has been given to me. Do you remember we talked about Psalm 82 and other gods with different authorities and power? What does Paul say? That he made a spectacle of them. He's defeated them. And so Jesus is saying, all authority has been given to me. We can pray because he has the authority. We can come in Jesus' name because he has the authority. But he doesn't stop there. He says, and I give you the same authority. Do we realize the weight of glory? Do we realize the weight of the invitation? <laughs> and something else. Sorry, I, I was supposed to be finished, but this just came to my mind. You remember the prodigal son? We also talked about him. And I said, this story is really about God. He's the prodigal father. He's extravagant in his love. That boy didn't go home because he thought that his father was good. That boy didn't go home because, because he was finally remorseful. He was hungry. So come either way. 
the Father will receive you because he's been waiting and longing. Call me the way. I encourage you to stand in this authority God has given us even when you don't believe completely. Uh, there's a kid who goes to Jesus, uh, there's a father who goes to Jesus to have his son healed and, and Jesus asks him, do you believe? And he says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And I don't know how many times I have to pray that. So come. This is not on you. It's on the one who has called us his own. So when you pray, you don't need to beg God to be merciful to you. You don't need to beg God to be kind to you. That is who he is. The boy didn't need to beg his father to call him son. Long before he could say whatever was on his mind, the father said, Ah, we're going to have a party. You don't need to tell God how terrible, and, and there's a place for that. There's a place for saying, God, my life has been terrible. But do not think that it is, it is pity, it, 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 that you, you're manipulating God with how bad things have been. You don't need to tell God, oh God, I've been very good. Look, I don't do things the others do. No, that's, that's not the point. All you need to know, this is the father who's called me his own. That is his identity. That is his name. And Advent is about coming to that place. Why don't we stand?